Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Dr. Reed Sheftall. Last name is spelled S-H-E-F-T-A-L-L. And we did a prior show about his excellent book that he just published. title of that book is Heroes and Villains, the COVID-19 Book of Lists. And we did a talk two hours, and he has a lot of material, a lot of knowledge about the subject as a medical doctor and has a lot more to say. So I arranged for a part two, so this will be the part two. If you'd like to, you can go back and listen to the part one um, on my podcast, William Ramsey Investigates. This is now streaming on Rockfin, so my time on YouTube is coming to an end. I think I'll be on version three of William Ramsey Investigates. They've already shut me down. I have one YouTube channel. I can't get into my second one. I had like 30,000 subs, so that's all gone. But uh, very important information to get out, very timely, and I'm delighted to have Dr. Reed Sheftall back. So, Reed, welcome back to the show. Thank you, William. It's great to be back. Excellent. So for people who didn't hear our first show, can you kind of talk about your background, your medical career? I know you have a very established academic background, and kind of what led you, led you to put together this COVID-19 book of lists. Sure. Um, let me let me do it with the slide. I'm, I'm one of these okay, guys. Great. Better when I see something in front of me. Okay, great. Let me. Uh, all right. Yeah. So this is this is a slide that kind of sums up me. And um, you know, as a physics major at MIT, I got an MD down in Florida. Um, I'm a surgeon of three different specialties now, after many years and lots of training. Um, and these pictures over here on the right are from Operation Kids, which is a charity I started 22 years ago in Cambodia and Vietnam. And uh, that's why I'm over here now. And um, I wrote the book um, starting in January of 2022. It took me about nine months to write it. It's been out about a month and a half. And it's called, like you said, Heroes and Villains, the COVID-19 Book of Lists. Uh, and uh, that's, that's my summary there. Um, here's the book. It's ranked number two at this point in time in infectious diseases on Amazon. Uh, and here, here's an idea of what the book is. It's divided into three sections, people, places, and things. And this, I took this photograph of one of the pages in the people section. And these are 31 physicians, scientists, most brave and challenging the narrative. And here you see Dr. Yeadon, who was a major contributor to my book, ranked number one, and Scott Atlas, ranked number two. But the book is set up this way. Uh, in the people section. And then in the places, there are institutions that are ranked with under different headings. And in the um, things section, there are things like the 10 most important slides of the pandemic, the most important videos of the pandemic, things like that. So um, it's very interesting um, to see these things ranked with an explanation underneath of why they're ranked where they're ranked. Now, this is the first um, slide of tonight's continuation of part one. And unfortunately, on this slide, um, the writing shrunk down. So I'm going to try to do it by memory, which I, I think I can do. It's pretty simple. But what I was saying I, I can there, read it out for you if you like, because I oh, can you read can? it. Oh, great. Figure Please nine, COVID-19 using the March 24 exclusive guidelines versus using the 2003 guidelines. No, no, not, not the, oh, sorry, William. Not, not the picture. For some reason, my picture's real big, but there's a little gray line behind it, and that's all the words that I had typed out. Oh, no, 
I can't read them. But can you read those or you can't read no, those? No. All right, let me just let me just tell you what it is. I basically said that it all starts with the infection fatality rate. All of the deception that we got from the false narrative started with the infection fatality rate, which they quoted as being 4%, which did not make sense to me and some other doctors who I'm going to mention in just a second. So we found a situation where we could study a closed society, which, and we used a cruise ship that was quarantined in Yokohama, Japan. Um, because the problem that the narrative people had done, had made, the mistake they had made, I'm talking about the CDC, the WHO, China Medical, et cetera, was that they were not counting the asymptomatic cases. So, Again, the infection fatality rate equals number of deaths divided by the number of people infected. And they had the denominator too small because they were not counting the asymptomatic infections. Okay? And when you have a quotient and the denominator is too small, it makes the quotient itself too large. Okay? When you divide by a smaller number, it makes the quotient larger. Okay? Gotcha. Um, so that inflated the infection fatality rate up to 4%. So doctors um, Levitt of Stanford, Dr. Ioannidis from Stanford, and myself independently calculated the infection fatality rate based on the cruise ship that was docked in Yokohama. And we got numbers that were on the order of 20 to 40 times smaller, not 40% smaller, 40 times smaller. I do, you think that, do you think that their statistics were done intentionally to inflate those numbers? Honestly, at that point, I don't think so. We are having a lot of chaos today, aren't we? But th that's um, what's interesting. That's kind of, I remember that Yokohama, it was all over the news. That was yeah. the ship that was quarantined. It was a huge story. And yeah. that was kind of like one of the first stories out of the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I, I was in Cambodia at the time. And of course, I got constant news about it. I mean, they were showing pictures of the cruise ship in the port 10 times a day over here. I remember a lady leaning out of her window saying, I want to go home. Let me go home. She was an American lady. Uh, that sticks out to me. But that, that is the cruise ship that we used. And the reason we used the cruise ship was because it was a closed society. We could literally check every single person on the cruise ship so we wouldn't get tricked by the asymptomatic people. Okay, People who were infected that had no symptoms that the narrative side, Dr. Fauci and so forth, the CDC, were not counting. So we, when we did that, I came up with an infection fatality rate of 0.1% as opposed to 4%. That's 1 40th as much. Dr. Levitt came up with something on the order of 0.2 to 0.3% for the infection fatality rate. And Dr. Ioannidis gave a range, 0.025% to 06 to 5% as an infection fatality rate. Now, it turns out we were right, of course. We all know that now. The CDC took until September to acknowledge that I was right and Dr. Levitt was right, okay? And Dr. Ioannidis too. Uh, so the reason, I do think the nefarious part did start at this point though. Now China had already done some stuff which we talked about last week. Um, and I urge everyone to go back and look at part one and 
and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, but as far as the infection fatality rate goes, it was a very convenient thing for them to have it at 4% because 4% is a very scary number for an infection fatality rate. Take 4% of the US population and you've got something like 14 million people. Okay, that, that's a lot of people to die from something. So it really scared the people and it was to their liking because it scared people so much that they were willing to accept absurd solutions like lockdowns, okay? Now, my, I, I put my calculation out on March 8th, okay, of 2020. And that was the first day that you could possibly do it because we had to see how many people had died on the cruise ship to work out the calculations. Now, um, remember when I said the infection fatality rate is the number who die divided by the number of people who are infected. So we had solved the problem of the too low denominator there. And the other way to increase the quotient would be to increase the numerator. The quotient goes up when the numerator goes up. And so here's, a, here's an incredibly important picture. Now we're gonna to refer to this bar graph here. Um, this will blow people away. Th this slide was ranked number one on my list in my book of the 10 most important slides of the pandemic. And let me, let's take a second to see what this slide tells us. This is a comparison of the number of people that were recorded as COVID deaths on August 23rd, 2020, using new guidelines that they created on March 24th versus guidelines that it had been in place for 17 years, okay? Since 2003, they made guidelines on how to assign death. Now, when our infection fatality rates were published at 0 0.1%, 0.2%, 0.3%, et cetera, I think the people that wanted to scare the public into things like lockdowns, this is speculating a little bit now, I'm not saying this is proof, but it sure looks like it. When we published that information and let the world know that the infection fatality rate was really 0.1%, not 4%, the people that wanted it to be high enough to scare people into lockdowns knew that their only chance was to increase the numerator to make the infection fatality rate look higher because we had already caught them cheating on the denominator, if you will. So what they did is they changed the guidelines on how to report deaths from COVID. On August 23rd, using these new guidelines that they made on March 24th, 2020, they did these new guidelines at the CDC on March 24th. The number of deaths, according to the new guidelines, was recorded as 161,000 plus. Whereas if they'd left the guidelines in place that were there for 17 years and hadn't changed it, on August 23rd, the total number of deaths would have only been 9,000 and something. So they have changed the guidelines. This didn't increase the number of people who died from COVID. This increased the number of people who were recorded as dying from COVID. You follow me? Yes. Because they changed the guidelines. Can you imagine if they had never changed those guidelines? And I'm going to prove tonight that instead of one million and some odd number of people dying in the United States. The real number is only about 140,000. Wow. It's no different than the flu. I'm going to prove that tonight. 
Okay. It's very important because they've convinced, yeah, yeah, they've convinced people of the lethality of this COVID that have changed immense policies, trillions of dollars of wealth transfers. Yes. All of that massive was, cultural change. Yeah. Correct. All of that was entirely unnecessary. It's all based on them changing the guidelines on how to record COVID deaths. And they used the PCR test to do it. And I'm going to explain that again tonight because um, one of our viewers last time asked about the PCR test. I remember that when I watched it over again. So I made a, pre a presentation of that also tonight. It's going to be a review. We'll go through it quickly. But everybody, make sure that you understand what was done here in the middle of the night, if you will, on March 24th, 2020 by the CDC, changing the guidelines for doctors to report COVID deaths, to assign COVID deaths. To a lot of people who did not die of COVID is another way to look at it. If we hadn't changed the guidelines, only 9,000 people would have been recorded as dying from COVID. So I'm urging everyone, if they're watching this as a um, uh, videotape where they can stop the, pause the thing and look at this, study this graph very carefully. It's the most important slide in the entire pandemic. And then proceed forward, which we'll do now live. Okay, so way back in 2020, I made a little video. It was the second video that I had done. The first one got taken down. Um, the first one was called Stop the Start, Stop, Stop the SARS-2 Stupidity, Please, Doctors, You Are Killing People. And YouTube took it down immediately. So I had to make a new title and try to slip it through, which I did about four months later. And now it's called um, Stop the SARS-2 Stupidity, Please. Okay, so I took off You Are Killing People, basically, so you wouldn't take it down. But anyway, this is the second video I made. And this is about SARS testing not being the solution to the problem, but the problem itself. That is what was causing all the problems. So what I'm going to do tonight, very rapidly, so, because we have a lot of ground to cover, is um, just review the PCR test, okay, which a lot of people know this, but I'm going to go through it real fast. So the way to do these things is to take every single term in the name of the test and make sure that you understand exactly what it means. So the test officially is called the RT-PCR test, and I'm going to define every term in that. So the first term is reverse transcriptase, which is the RT. Transcriptase is an enzyme that takes DNA to RNA and reverse transcriptase takes RNA back to DNA. The reason we need RT before the PCR test is because the SARS-2 virus is an RNA virus and the test, the PCR test is done with DNA. So we have to convert the RNA to DNA before they can run the test. And that's the only reason reverse transcriptase is in there. Now, polymerase, that's the next term. Polymerase is an enzyme that copies DNA or RNA. It can, be R it can be DNA polymerase or RNA polymerase, and it uses DNA or RNA as a template, as a guide to attach nucleic acids to each other into a long polymer. That's why it's called polymerase, okay? And you can make an exact copy because of base pair specificity. Now, chain reaction is the are the final two terms, polymerase chain reaction, right? Okay, a chain reaction in this setting is the same as it is, say, in, in nuclear physics, where a neutron from the nucleus of U-238 gets emitted and it hits a, a nucleus of another atom 
and that knocks two new, uh, neutrons out, and then each of those neutrons hit, hits a nucleus. So then you have four, eight, 16, et cetera. It's the same kind of thing. Um, as you can see here, there's two copies. One, two, here there are four, one, two, three, four, because two squared equals four. And then two to the third power equals eight. So there's eight copies here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, et cetera. And here's the thing that is really something that was not done properly. Oops, I went backwards. All right. Think about um, the genetic sequence where you go, where you double the number each time. It goes one and then two and then four, eight, 16, just like this does. 60, uh, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 1024. Okay, so 10 doublings of something, which is what's happening here, 10 doublings will give you 1,000 times the initial amount, okay? Roughly 1,024, but we'll call it 1,000. All right, so 20 doublings will give you 1 million times the initial amount, okay? because you start with a thousand and a thousand times that is a million. If you double it 30 times, you get a billion because a thousand times a million is a billion. And then if you double it 40 times, you get 1 trillion, which is an enormous number, obviously. And we, we not we, but the people that were doing this were allowing the doublings to go up to 40 times. A cycle means times. So two to the 40th power is 1 trillion or 1,000 billion, okay? Now, the reason that the PCR test is done is because they're looking for small fragments of RNA in the nasopharynx of the patient. When you get swabbed, and I have one right here, believe it or not. When you get swabbed with one of these things here in your nose or your mouth, they're picking up some mucus from your, from your nasopharynx and hoping that some RNA is in there. And they, and they, this is a slight oversimplification, but it's, it's, it's reasonably accurate for our purposes. They're going to amplify that little piece of RNA, which has been converted to DNA. So now it's DNA, but they amplify it so that they can perform chem, so that they can perform chemical tests on it. If there's such a small amount, you can't even perform a chemical test on it. So you have to amplify it first. And Carrie Mullis got the Nobel Prize for this. It's so valuable in some applications. It doesn't really apply to COVID and that's part of the problem, but I'm telling you what they did. So they would amplify this thing up to a trillion times so that they could perform chemical tests on it. But it turns out that after about 23 to 28 doublings, you can't culture the virus out anymore. So you're not really testing for live virus above 28 cycles. Okay, you're just testing for old tiny pieces of RNA in there, which has nothing to do with whether the person is infected at the time. And I'm going to explain that in just a second. Now, so what fraction of so-called new cases based on the PCR test were being mislabeled? Think about that for a second. And the answer is an enormous fraction. They were abusing this test to drive the numbers up, to drive the numerator up in the infection fatality rate quotient. You with me? Yes. Now, we could find out how inaccurate this thing was if we 
cultured out all the specimens like they did on the Yokohama, on the Yokohama cruise ship. The Japanese are very, very good at doing everything properly. And they cultured things out to say who had it and who didn't. They didn't use a PCR test. All right. But that would be very impractical, right? It costs a lot of money to culture things out. Okay. So let me show you what happened in this graph down here. This is a graph of cases, which is in green, and deaths, which is in this mustard color here, this yellowish color. And at first, it makes perfect sense. The, the cases go up and the deaths follow, okay, by about two weeks. And even when the, when the um, cases start to turn down a little, the deaths start to turn down two weeks later. So that all makes perfect sense. However, on June 9th, 2020, there was what I call a decoupling between cases and deaths. This is when they started letting the cases go real high based on this crummy PCR test. And I'll tell you why the cases go high in just a second. And the deaths started, you know, continue to drop, drop, drop. Okay. Now, here's, here's a little quirk about the PCR test. When you have active, an active SARS-2 infection and, and a real new case, you will deposit RNA garbage or fragments in your nasopharynx that'll be there three months after you've recovered from the disease, okay? And the PCR is gonna pick up those fragments and come out with a positive reading, right? Like I just said, they take the cycles way out, it's gonna be positive. But you don't have a new case anymore. You don't have an active infection. But on CNN every day, they were calling them new cases. And that's why the new cases number keeps shooting up and the deaths started dropping. There's no more correlation like there was over here. Okay, you with me? Yes. They've completely decoupled. And Ivor Cummins, who's been a great data analyst, called this a case-demic. I think he was the first person to coin that term. Now, um, let me just read some of these bullet points here. We need to, this now, by the way, again, don't forget that these gray shaded boxes are from a, a video that I made uh, fairly early in 2020. It was probably in uh, September or something. And I'm saying that I knew that the problem was testing. It wasn't the solution to our problems. We were testing all these asymptomatic people. It was absurd, really. Tremendous waste of time. It scared the public for no reason. Because most of those people didn't have COVID, even though the test was positive. Because they were measuring fragments that had been in there three months after they recovered. Okay. Anyway, so I'm saying here, we need to stop getting hysterical over increases in quote new cases when many, probably the large majority are not new. Okay, so I figured this out really early what the problems were. We need to stop testing asymptomatic low risk patients. Testing is not the solution, it's the problem. And then I wrote here, all of the TV doctors were and are wrong to lobby for more testing which they were all doing. We need to do more testing and tracing, both of which were completely wrong. Uh, and England's, England's Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, was triply wrong to push for a moonshot testing program wherein everyone would be tested. This disastrous idea has been advanced by people in the U.S. too. Okay. So again, here's the problem. After amplification, what was originally an inadequate sample is present in large enough quantities to perform chemical tests on, such as, is it there, right? 
that will read positive for the presence of an RNA segment specific to SARS-2. Frequently, the virus has long since been destroyed and will not culture out. Okay, in other words, they don't have an active viral infection at that point. The test is not measuring viable virus. A lot of people never really understood that. It's only measuring RNA, which could be in there months after the person recovered. Okay, finding RNA by this process does not mean you have found a new case. Now, I'm belaboring the point a little bit, but it's so important because this is how the public got manipulated into thinking that this pandemic was much, much worse than it was. I'm gonna show you slides at the end that show you that actually we had fewer deaths in 2020 than the average of 2015 to 2019. Wow. That will shock you and it's true. That All right. I saw a video when I made this one about two days before where a very attractive female doctor was on, t on YouTube saying, the RT-PCR test is used to determine when a patient is currently infected. And that's 100% wrong. It does not determine when a patient is currently infected. It's only testing for RNA, which again can remain in there months after you've recovered. Okay. Right, so the point is, is that even if there's RNA in there, it doesn't mean that you're sick. It just means they found RNA in your- That's right. Even if you have an active infection, it doesn't mean that you're sick because so many people had asymptomatic infections. But they were looking for new cases to, to, to chart on CNN every day, how many people had this, if you remember. And actually they were exaggerating it by, it turns out about seven times the real number. I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little, but that, that's what it, it shows. Um, now it's not a false positive when that happens. That's another thing for people to understand. It's a subtlety. It's not a false positive because the test is looking for RNA fragments and it's finding them, okay? It's just that people didn't understand what the test was actually measuring. Right. Now, they, they, the, the public was led to believe the test measured if you were had COVID or not and still believes that actually. That's a new case. That's right. And some people still believe it, especially a lot of the doctors on TV. It's incredible. It's, it's really incredible. And we're talking, battling about misinformation and disinformation. Huh. That's one of the biggest pieces of mis and disinformation is that the PCR test is like a measure of whether you have COVID or not. That's right. That fact and the fact that they changed the guidelines on how to designate whether someone's dying from COVID or not. It had to do with whether you have a positive COVID test or not. But I'm telling you now, all those positive COVID tests didn't didn't find people that actually had the disease. They just found RNA in their nasopharynx, which was from three months ago when they've already recovered. See the problem, how this got completely out of hand. Okay, so I made a little quote here. You can take a tiny, meaningless fragment of a molecule and amplify it into the end of the world. And I said that in September of 2020. Good Lord, well, that was perfect. And I think Mollis, like he passed away just before this all started. Yes. And I think there's a video of him saying the same thing that you just said. This is not a real testing thing for this any specific disease. It just challenge, it just finds RNA or whatever. It that, finds that's exactly right. Now let me tell you, just, just to complete the circle, th this is a tremendous advance that Kerry Mellis created here. And in some applications, it really, really helps. For example, in a rape case. If, if a woman is claiming that a, a person raped her and he's saying, no, I've never seen her, I've never been near, and they swab her vagina 
and they do a PCR test and magnify the, the genetic material that's in there in the sperm, right? Then if that test is positive, he's in a lot of trouble because that shows that his DNA was in there, okay? And that's a perfect application of this test because then is all you need to know is, was, is the DNA in there, not whether he's, it's actively in there or not. You follow me? Yes. So it would prove that he had raped her, you see? or at least deposited his DNA in there somehow. Okay. Um, so in that application, it's it's very, very helpful. And also like old rape cases, old things from 20 years ago, just a tiny trace, they can take yeah. this test. And yeah, explain. and what they do is, of course, they, they do a um, rape kit in the um, emergency room and, and take samples and they save those samples. So as technology advances over the years, sometimes they can go back and show that the, the person did rape that woman. You follow me? Okay, but but doing doing it the way it was done for COVID, it would be the same thing as walking into a museum. I'm not kidding now, and finding a Revolutionary War musket and saying we're in the middle of a war right now. You see what I mean? They're finding a relic from being in the war, like the RNA from a past infection, right? But that doesn't mean it's a new case, an active case right now. But a, but a Revolutionary War musket in a museum is just a relic from the Revolutionary War. It doesn't mean we're having the Revolutionary War right now. That's, right. that's the mistake. But they, that's part of the misinformation. They won the misinformation battle by making it public. Yeah, but I mean, believe that, that that's a real case, yeah, among other things. Yeah. All right. Now, this is a question that I thought the viewers would like to, to see me solve and might like to pause the video when they watch a replay of this. But I'm just going to show it to you now. And, and I'm going to ask you the very simple question. You go to a doctor's office and get a PCR test because there were other problems with the PCR test beyond the fact that they ran the cycle threshold out to a number of 40 or greater. But you go to a doctor's office and get a PCR test. The doctor tells you the result is positive. Okay. Think about this for a second. What are the chances the result is wrong? In other words, this isn't about going out to 40 cycles. This is about the PCR test just being wrong, given that the prevalence is 1%, the false negative rate is 25%, which is well accepted, and the false positive rate is 8%, okay? What are the chances the result is wrong? In other words, that you really have, I think it says don't behind here, that you really don't have a SARS-2 infection given the following facts. So what are the chances that the, that the test is wrong when you're told it's it's positive. All right, now they sent this question to 1,000 doctors to see if the doctors knew what they were doing and only 4% answered it correctly. Think about that. 4% of doctors got this right. So if you can pause this thing, if you're not in the live stream, if you're watching a, a copy uh, and try to solve it, go ahead and do that now. And then I'm gonna just give you the answer now, explain it to you. All right, so I've rewritten the question here. You go to your doctor's office, get a PCR test. The doctors tell you that the result is positive. What are the chances the result is wrong? I.e. that you really, that you don't really have a SARS-2 infection after you got a positive test now. Now, the chance that a positive result is wrong would be the fraction of all positive tests that are false. In other words, it would be the false positives over all the positives, which is the true positive plus the false positive. 
Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. It's a little bit hard to figure out. That's why 4% of the doctors got it right. But it's really simple arithmetic. So let's say you have 100,000 people in the sample. Well, you know if the prevalence is 1%, then 1,000 people have the disease. One out of 100. Okay? Gotcha. If the false negative rate is 25%, then you know the, fault, the number of false negatives has to be 25% of the people who have it, which is 250 people. So the, if you take 250 from 1,000, you get 750. And those are the true positives. Those are the people that got a positive test and they have the disease, okay? Or the infection, the SARS-2. False negatives are people who have the infection but get a falsely negative test, if you will. That's why it's called a false negative. You with me? Because they actually have the infection. All right. So the false positive rate is 8%. You take 8% of 99,000, which is the number of people who don't have a SARS-2 infection with a prevalence of 1%. And that's 7,920. And you subtract that from 99,000 and you get 91,080. Okay. So these are all the numbers. These are the false positives. In other words, these are the people who get a positive result, but they don't have the SARS-2 infection. They're on the side that does not have the SARS-2 infection. So when you plug this in, remember, it's given that you have a positive test. So you want to know what the likelihood is that the test is wrong. So it's the false positives divided by all the positives. And when you plug the numbers in from right here, it turns out it's 91%. That doesn't that shock you? Yes, There's a 91% chance that result is wrong when the doctor says you're positive. More than nine, nine out of 10 times the doctor's wrong. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's incredible. Now, if you change the false positive rate down to 5%, so you make it a little bit more accurate test, it's still 87% likely that the test is incorrect. Doesn't that shock you? That's amazing, isn't it? Okay, let's go on to the next slide. Now, unfortunately, this shrank, but I'm going to read this because this, this, is, this is the gist of tonight's presentation. I'm going to prove this in just a second. Since deaths were the same as a typical flu season, and you'll see in a minute that they were, and much lower than 2017, 2018, when there were actually 79,400 deaths from the flu, COVID-19 would have come and gone without the average person noticing if the media and public health people had not hyped it up, lied, and misunderstood the PCR test failings. And if the government hadn't given obscene monetary incentives for hospitals and doctors to falsely assign deaths due to other causes to COVID-19. That's a, that's a claim I'm making that it would have come and gone without the average person noticing. Okay. And the reason I can claim that is because there were, there were the same number of deaths from COVID as there are from the flu every year. Now I know, I know that's going to shock a lot of people and this is in my book too, but I'm going to prove it right now. So, so watch carefully. Now, this is not part of the proof. It just gives you some perspective on how many people actually died from COVID. These are the, these are the survival rates for all these different age groups. And they're all, look at this, 99.9998 for people less than one year old. 100% survival in people one to four years old. In other words, they couldn't even find one person out of a million and that's dying with or from COVID, not from COVID necessarily. That's just with a COVID positive PCR test. 
that died of something else, nobody did it. Okay. From age five to nine, the chances were 99.9999%. That means one person in a million. Okay. It's nothing. Like you're it's probably nothing. more dangerous I'm to not, be killed. I'm not going to read all of these, but just look, at, whatever, yeah. Yeah, just look at this, William. You have to go up to age 80 or higher before there's a less than 99% chance of surviving. And that's not just from COVID, that's with and from COVID. Just with COVID, having a diagnosis and dying of some other cause. you got to be over 80 before you have a 99, less than a 99% chance of surviving. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. All right. So that's I, I just saw Fauci on TV within the last couple of weeks saying we've got to vaccinate the kids because 1,500 of them died from COVID. It's total, he's totally lying. He's, it's absolutely incorrect. He's counting with and from. It's just criminal as far yeah, as I know. He's criminal. Yeah, he's a criminal. Oh, it's horrible. All right. So look, let me let me just give you a little basic. First of all, let me just finish this up. This is from the um, Office of National Statistics for England and Wales. And this is, I tried to pick a country that had a hard time with this. And this is all that they got. Isn't that amazing? Okay. And this is with or from SARS-CoV-2 now, with or from. That was another issue that is very important. All right. Now, look, there are basically three characteristics which make a disease noticeable. One of them is the age at which the death occur deaths occur. So you might say, oh, my God, there's a, um, um, a disease that's killing young girls or something. Okay, that would make you notice that there's something unusual out there. Number two the number of deaths caused by the disease. You know, like if there's an overwhelming number of deaths and that's that's what they are trying to tell everybody and there were when there weren't, okay? And number three, the uniqueness of presentation. And there was a little unique thing about COVID, which was the loss of taste and smell, okay? But I'm talking about the average person it, coming and going without the average person knowing. And so few people died from this, you won't believe it. I'm gonna prove it in just a second. Now, the average age of death, or addressing each of these issues, the average age of death from COVID-19 is greater than the average lifespan. Think about that. So people get to be in their 80s. Yeah, they do die. And the people that died of COVID died at a greater age than people than the normal lifespan, okay? Which is very suspicious right there. Number two, which I'm going to prove in just a second, there were fewer than two additional deaths per 100,000 people per month. Now, if you're, if you're in a town of 100,000 people and one and a half or 1.6, it turns out, extra people die per month, believe me, you're not gonna notice it, okay? And that's what I'm gonna prove existed in this disease in just a second. And number three, uh, as far as um, a uniqueness of presentation, at first there was no uniqueness of presentation. Everybody thought people were dying of a flu-like syndrome. Remember that? Okay. And of course, um, it was not a, a, a pneumonia that was killing the people. Uh, this disease, COVID-19, is a disease of the vascular endothelium. It's an endotheliitis, okay? And I like to give a shout out to my close friend, Spartacus. He goes by the name Spartacus on the internet. And he gave what I consider is the most detailed explanation of the pathophysiology of this. So just a shout out to him. Um, That's the lining of your veins, right? Is the end. Yeah, it's the the endothelium are the cells on the inner lining of your blood vessels. Okay, and those things get inflamed, and it causes a myriad of cascades that end up causing clotting and 
many things, um, which we can talk about later if we have time. Sure. All right, now here's, from this point on, I'm gonna prove everything. So get your arithmetic brains running everybody and follow along. First, let me, let me define what this is and why I chose this one. This is Sweden. And Sweden I chose because Sweden is almost, it's not almost, it, it was the control group for the world. The reason is Sweden did not go into lockdowns. They did not use masks. They did not require them. They did not keep people from meeting in bars and watching games. So Sweden was the control group. Now, let me tell you what this graph shows here. It's real interesting. You can imagine from 2015 to 2019, there could be an average number of deaths per month, right? Okay, so this graph shows you the deviation from the average number of deaths per month during these years per 100,000 people. So as you will remember, William, the worst month from this was in the year 2020, and it was about during April, right? So that's why this bar is the highest. That was the biggest deviation from the average of 2015 to 2019. And that makes sense, right? Now, remember, this is the zero line. So in all these months down here, there were actually fewer deaths per month per 100,000 people than there was from 2015 to 2019. Think about that. During the middle of a pandemic, most of the months there were fewer deaths. Now that's shocking, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Now, that's the first thing I noticed about this. I said, wow, look at, there's way more months where they had fewer deaths during a pandemic. All right. Now, let's just look at the worst month to play the devil's advocate. There were 26 deaths here out, you know, higher than the average from 2015 to 2019. See, this is 26 right here. When you take it over, it's 26, between 20 and 30. All right. 26 above the average of that 2015 to 2019 per 100,000 population. And that's in the worst month of the pandemic. That's equal to 0.026%. 26 out of 100,000. Okay. That's 2.6 hundredths of 1%. And that was the worst month. And that's what we shut the entire world down for. Think about that. Incredible. 2.6 hundredths of 1% increase over the average of 2015 to 2019 when we the pandemic hadn't even gotten here yet. The increase was so negligible. It was 2.6 hundredths of 1%. Right. Now, here's I'm going to take this further, and you're going to be shocked when I come to the conclusion. The net of all the bars, and meaning you got a positive 26 here, you got positive 11 there, you got positive 14 there, et cetera. But over here, you've got negative eight, negative six, negative seven, negative one, et cetera. When you add all this up together, you come out with positive 40. But remember, that's over two years. That's 24 months. The total is 40 deaths over 24 months. That's 1.67 deaths per month. Additional over 2015 to 2019. 
Think about that. So one point cent a month for a hundred thousand. So what's Sweden's population? Eight million or something? Uh, well, I'm going to so, get into that on the next slide. Okay. I, I promise. I'm going to quantitate this so much you won't believe it. But this says 1.67 people extra, you know, in addition, died per hundred thousand people. Totally unnoticeable. You would never notice that. And that's why I'm saying that this would have come and gone without people noticing it. But let me let me prove it to a greater extent here. That is one sixth of one percent of one percent. That's what one point six seven out of a hundred thousand is. Think about that. One sixth of one percent of one percent. That's how few people additionally died over the average of 2015 to 2019 before the pandemic got here. And that's what we shut the world down for and caused all this death and destruction. 150 million people additionally at least will die because of what we did, not the disease, okay? 140 million people will starve to death according to the WHO due to supply chain disruptions from the lockdowns. People lost their jobs. They lost their livelihood. They lost their life savings. Many women, because we had a moratoria, moratorium placed on non-elective surgery, women who had breast lumps that were suspicious couldn't get them biopsied. And now they're dying of breast cancer all over the place. Okay? Suicides. Not- there's like stories about suicides. Oh, yeah. Psychological so damage. People couldn't get colonoscopies. They now have metastatic colon cancer to their liver and they're going to die from it. It's incredible. Now, let me continue this on because I'm going to apply these figures to the United States where we already know the numbers were inflated. This is going to tell us by how much they were inflated. Okay. Because I'm going to make a comparison of Sweden and the United States right now. Okay. Now, this is a page from my book and I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to summarize what's written up here and then read one paragraph to let you hear it in words if you're that type of person. Sweden's population is 10.35 million. Okay, William? It's like a decent sized state in America, basically. All right. That is equal to 103.5 times 100,000. So Sweden has 103.5 units of 100,000, if you will. You follow me? Yes. People. All right. The United States official population, of course, we know it's more because of undocumented immigrants and so forth. But the official U.S. population is 330 million. That means the United States has 3,300 units of 100,000. You with me? Yes, 100%. All right. Now, let me back it up. Remember, there were only 40 deaths in Sweden per 100,000 people when you add up all these bars over two years. You with me? Yes. All right. So if you multiply 40 times our number of units of 100,000, you get 132,000 people dying over those two years. And we had 40 deaths in Sweden. We have 132,000 in the United States over two years. That's all that died in the United States. And that's with or from COVID. That's not just from COVID. That's with or from COVID. Now, think about this for a second. In May of this year, 
I remember there was a big to do about us crossing a million deaths in America. Do you remember that? Vaguely, yeah, I feel like I saw yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, there were 880,000 in 2020 and 2021. So it took about half the year for us to get enough to cross a million deaths in the United States. When that happened, we had about 140,000 deaths. That's all. That's the truth. Now, think about this for a second. This is very, very, very important. Our deaths were inflated by about seven times based on Sweden. And why do I base it on Sweden? Because we know that our deaths were inflated. We know the PCR test was all out of whack. Right? Right. Now, right, and we know our that. guidelines were changed. You see, here's the guy. That's why I put this slide in again. Why, do you, why were our deaths um, exaggerated by seven times? Because they changed the guidelines and made it relate to a positive PCR test. You follow me? Yeah, and that increased the deaths on August 23rd from 9,000 something to 161,000. So they were they changed the guidance. That doesn't mean that more people died. It just means that more people were assigned COVID as the cause of death. Cause of death. With right. me? Yes. All right. Now, let me just read this. And it's the same thing as this, but it's in words. And people may find that it's a little smoother than my explanation, which I'm sure it is. Sweden's population is 10.35 million, which equals 103.5 times 100,000. So there are 103.5, quote, units of 100,000 there. The number of such units in the official U.S. population is 3,300. Taking Sweden's number of 40 deaths per 100,000 over the two years times 3,300 gives a total death count with and from COVID of 132,000 for the U.S. During the same time, 840,000 were assigned to COVID in the United States. Okay? okay. Think about that. Isn't that, isn't that really criminal what they did? And you knew yes. they were doing it. They were calling everything a new case, which also made the hospitalizations a new hospitalization due to COVID and made deaths due to COVID. But really those weren't new cases at all. You see, because people had recovered from COVID three months ago. They just had a little bit of RNA in their nasopharynx. So you can see why I brought up this PCR problem to, to prove this, to make people understand that it was tied to the PCR test being faulty. Right. Okay, so when we said there were a million deaths in the United States in May of this year, there were about 140,000, maybe 145,000. But here's the thing. You know how many deaths you, you get from the flu every year? Right around that number, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, you get about, you know, 50,000 or 40,000 or 60 sometimes. In 2017, 2018, we had 79,400 deaths. And how many people remember that that was such a horrible year? That was more yeah, deaths than COVID. Yeah. Okay. Now, now I'm going to pick on Bill Gates a little bit because I think he threw gas on the fire here. Now, let me, let me explain that. This is a, oops, I need my glass. I'm getting to that age where I need glasses to read anything. All right, this is from the New England Journal of Medicine, which used to be one of the two most prestigious medical journals in the world. The New England Journal and Lancet are, were, were the two. Okay, but look, look at the sort of things the New England Journal allowed this year or two years ago. 
they let Gates, who's not a doctor, he's very smart. He's smarter than I am. You know, I'll admit it. I'm sure he is. He better be. Um, they let him write a piece in the New England Journal of Medicine under the topic perspective, which, of course, he has no medical perspective. All right. And I'll explain why in just a second. He's going, responding to COVID-19, a once-in-a-century pandemic? Now, he wrote in this article, and I copied it, now we also face an immediate crisis. And this article was written on February 28th. Remember that date of 2020, February 28th of 2020. He says, now we also face an immediate crisis. In the past week, COVID-19 has started behaving a lot like the once-in-a-century pathogen we've been worried about. He's saying in the previous week to February 28th, COVID-19 has started behaving a lot like a once in a century pathogen. So I wanted to know where he got that evidence from, the information that allowed him to make a statement like that to scare everybody half to death, a once in a century pathogen. So of course I went and looked at, well, Gates wouldn't tell me, that's for sure. So I went and looked up the case and death numbers for, for February 20th, to, hang on, somebody's calling me again. From February 20th to February 27th, okay? Because the article was published on February 28th. So the week before, when he, when he says in the past week, it started behaving a lot like a once in a century pathogen. I looked it up on our world in data. You know, that's one of those things that tell you how many cases and deaths and give you the graphs and everything. I looked it up on our world in data and there weren't any cases or deaths between February 20th and February 27th. There were zero cases and zero deaths. And he said it's starting to behave a lot like a once in a century pathogen. Wow. And the lockdowns were March 14th, right? He could write something like that? Yeah. Zero cases and zero deaths, right. zero cases. And he it's said it's a once in a century pandemic. I'll tell you, you just almost can't believe it's just brazen, on. yeah, brazen deception, yeah. So, <clears throat> I'll tell you, unbelievable. Now, let me show you another thing. And this is the, this will just blow you out of the water. These are Sweden, Denmark, Norway, and Finland, the Scandinavian countries from 2014, 15, et cetera, up to 2020. Now, remember, 2020 was the year the pandemic hit. And I just showed you that April 2020 was absolutely the worst month during the two years of the pandemic, right? Right. These bars are lower than all of these. In other words, once in a century pandemic, according to Gates, and you got lowered deaths than you had in the previous years when there wasn't even a pandemic? You see, see the problem here? This thing was completely blown out of proportion. I mean, not even blown out of proportion. It was, I told, I, I showed this to Bhattacharya, Dr. Bhattacharya, and I said, this is the biggest nothing burger that ever hit the airwaves. You know, this thing was, was less than the previous years and they're calling it a pandemic. And then Gates is saying, oh, it's gonna be a once, you know, it might be a once in a century pandemic. It's starting to behave that way when there were no cases the week before. I'll tell you. It's incredible. People have some excellent explaining to do. They this was so do. criminal for them to scare everyone, 
into lockdowns, which killed at least 150 million people and counting. We wasted trillions of dollars on this that could have been used to help people who needed help. Think about this now. This wasn't a benign error. People died because of this. They lost their life savings. They lost the business that their family had had for 50 years. You know, it closed down and never opened again. You know about all that. Absolutely. It's California. I mean, Some of these places just didn't come back. These businesses are gone. Yeah. Outrage. What was done here. This is murder. This is incredible. What, what was gotten away with here. And, you know, this is why I wrote that book. And then you've got a lady from Brown University now saying that, why don't we give amnesty to everybody? Because we really didn't understand it at first. That's not true. If you go back and look at my videos, I understood everything about this. On February 20th, I wrote an article that proved, and I say that, I don't use that word lightly, but I proved that it came from a lab in February, on February 20th of 2020. My essay ended, stayed up on Facebook about an hour and it was gone. All these videos that I made the whole year explaining everything. I gave primers on immunology so people would understand this. I found the correct infection fatality rate on March 8th. On March 17th, I wrote four network TV hosts begging them for five minutes in their office to let me explain that going into lockdowns is two days after Trump announced it was going to be a disaster. And I said, it's going to cause death and destruction on of biblical proportions was the phrase I used. And none of them wrote me back. Now, I don't blame them because I'm sure their screeners and handlers just didn't give them the email. Okay, so I never heard back from them. And look what the lockdowns did to, to the Western world. I mean, what a disaster. We talked about that a lot last week. Remember when I showed you that graph of the stagnant air and talked about the, yes. the running a marathon on a track and having people stuck in the sand? It's, yeah, no, it was, it was bad. Yeah, explained it. Why? From a physics point of view. And that the virus is invisible. Remember all that? Yes. Last week when we talked. Mm -hmm. So we urge people to go back and look at part one. Because that explains a lot of the physics of this. And believe it or not, I even use card counting. Remember, William? Yes. Uh -huh. I use card counting to explain how I proved that the vaccine was not blocking transmission only a month after it came out. And everybody said, no, you couldn't figure it out that fast. There's no way. Well, I use calculus to do it. You needed to know the second derivative, the rate of change of the rate of change of reduction was not great enough for the vaccines to have been working. That's the basic idea. Um, anyway, it, isn't it amazing? I mean, I when you see a graph like this and you hear people saying we're talking about a once in a century pandemic, you know they're just lying about it to scare people into getting vaccines, which were not necessary. Remember, I also proved that we reached herd immunity on January 11th, 2021. And People still don't understand this. I see articles by very intelligent doctors that are on TV and getting interviewed all the time. I'm, I'm not talking about the narrative people. I'm talking about the people who are saying, don't get the vaccines. They still don't think we've reached our immunity yet. But I proved that we reached it on January 11th, 2021, without a single person fully vaccinated. Now, if, I, if YouTube had left my videos up, the public would have seen that and they would have seen that the vaccine vaccines were not blocking transmission and they probably would not have gotten the vaccine because at that right. point, it's only a syringe full of side effects that you're getting. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
and they took my videos down. I'm really upset at YouTube and, and, um, and Alphabet, you know, for allowing them to take down videos that really would have helped people. So as far as I'm concerned, they're responsible for some of the deaths too. I agree with that. It's clear that people are dying because of myocarditis and maybe some other effects of the vaccine. No question about it. And some my, of the stats are incredible. This guy Halligan has estimated their injuries at a billion, not yeah. millions. Of Considering how many people got vaccinated world, he extrapolated all the damages from the U.S. and Europe and then times it by eight because that's how many people outside of there. So if all the stats in the U.S. and Europe are correct and there's underreporting, the, the injuries are off the charts. They're off the it's, charts. It's, not it's just incredible. The and, you know, taking away this big fight over misinformation. Listen, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm too embarrassed to make a mistake. My, repu my personal reputation is online, my reputation as a doctor. I don't say anything I can't prove. And as you can see tonight, you know, I, I prove everything I say. Look, think about it. And I did in the first video that we did. But tonight, you know, I'm doing the calculations. I'm showing how many people died in Sweden over two years. Okay. Oh, and it's very upsetting to me that my videos were taken down. There's not a single mistake on any of them that I can find from the very beginning. Um, right. So what were the complaints? Did they give you an excuse? Did they say misinformation well, or what did they I'll say? I'll tell you how they do it. There is a section on when you get taken down on YouTube, they, they send you a notice that says you've been taken down. This video is off. You've got so many demerits or whatever. And then they show you the guidelines for reporting on COVID. And in my book, I listed the guidelines that make no sense at all. You're not even allowed. Listen, let, let me give you an example that I happen to remember off the top of my head. It's all in my book, though. You're not allowed to say that hydroxychloroquine is safe. Now, aside from whether hydroxychloroquine is helpful against COVID, to say that you're not allowed to say that it's safe is absurd. We use hydroxychloroquine for lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, and those are lifelong diseases. People use it for 40 or 50 years daily, and the, the, the side effect profile is negligible. And then you're not allowed to say that they're safe. They're among the, it's among the safest drugs we have. Hydroxychloroquine. People use and ivermectin it. is is uh, prescribed all throughout Sub-Saharan Africa. Like people are on that all the time yeah, because the of the threat of these. Like, that's uh, right. Hydroxychloroquine is also a prophylactic for malaria, and we don't give prophylactics that are dangerous because you haven't even had the disease yet when you take a prophylactic. So we don't give people dangerous medicine to be a prophylactic. The reason they take it in Africa, they take it once a week. They also take ivermectin once a week. The reason they take hydroxychloroquine is to prophylax them to prevent them from getting malaria, which is common over there. And the reason they take ivermectin once a week over there is because uh, it is effective against a disease called river blindness. Right. And so they prophylax against river blindness also. So in Africa, people take ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine once a week, okay? To prevent them from getting those diseases. All right. Now, again, we're shrunk a little bit here. Let me read this again. And you, you, you viewers, I'd like to hear from you guys whether or not you think this is proved or not. 
Since deaths were the same as a typical flu season and much lower than the 2017-2018 season when there were 79,400 deaths, remember, I've just proved that we really only had about 132,000 deaths in the first two years, 2020 and 2021, in America. Since that, since deaths were the same as the typical flu season, COVID-19 would have come and gone without the average person knowing if the media and public health people had not hyped it up, lied and misunderstood the PCR test failings, and if the government hadn't given obscene monetary incentives for hospitals and doctors to falsely assign deaths due to other causes to COVID-19. That issue of those obscene monetary incentives, I mean, come on. They were giving tens of thousands of, of dollars to hospitals when COVID-19 was assigned, was assigned as the cause of death. You remember that, William? Yeah, it's under the CARES Act, I think, right? Didn't they yeah. have all kinds of incentives? And I'll tell you, let's say it's $38,000, which comes to mind that Medicare was paying in addition. That's a lot of money. When you've got thousands of patients dying and coming through hospitals all the time, it adds up to an enormous amount of money, okay? And that was certainly their policy because they are getting people that came in with a broken leg and had a positive COVID test saying they were a COVID admission, which they got money right, for from, also. From the faulty PCR test too. So it's really crazy. Because yeah. they swabbed their nasopharynx and found some old RNA in there from, a, from COVID that they had recovered from three months ago before they broke their leg. You follow me? See how I it's do. all. That wasn't the only perverse incentive. There were all kinds of other things to use a ventilator. People got paid. They got paid. That's, right. and, and really, that's, that's another thing that's terribly upsetting to a doctor because the ventilators, use of ventilators killed people. It was not the right treatment. They needed to use high flow oxygen by nasal cannula. They didn't understand the disease. It was very obvious very early on. There were even some honest ER doctors and ICU doctors coming on and saying, we're not treating this right. I mean, it's, it's a disgrace, really. The, 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 the medical profession took a huge hit, and they deserved it. I mean, come on. And they're still on that ventilator, too. Lockdowns and masks work. And gosh, you ought, to, you ought to go back. Not you, but. If people are interested and want to know about how early this was all figured out, go back, go back and watch my video, Stop the SARS-2 Stupidity, Please. It explains everything. It's four hours long, which is too long. And, you know, I got a thousand people watching it or something. Not very many over all this time. But I'll tell you, it's got primers, of immunology, it's got everything in there, and it explains everything, and it was put out initially when it got taken down, I think in April or May, and then I put it up again, I think in late October or something like that. I will, put a link, I will put a link to your YouTube channel in this, yeah. in the show notes for this when it goes out, just audio, okay. so people Thank can link you. to that, and the link was in the earlier show too, part one of this as well. Yeah, my, my point in... in continuing to go over this is people really got taken advantage of here. They, you know, they, they had a sense that maybe something was wrong, but if you're not trained in, in the major histocompatibility complex and know how immunology works, you're not really going to follow along and understand anything. 
But um, that's why I made primers before all my videos. So people would get an idea of what the science is before I started making claims and proving them. So that's why I went over the PCR test again tonight. So people know what polymerase chain reaction means. So that they know what 40 cycles means and the significance of it. Having to double 10 times to get 1,000 times the initial amount. And then you go through 40 cycles, you're going to have a trillion times the initial amount. I mean, it's incredible what went on. And it's much incredible. to the detriment of the average person. I mean, think they how knew misinformation from agenda was at event 201. They knew mis and disinformation were going to be a big. Yeah, it's challenge. funny. George Gao, who is the head of the CDC in China, Dr. George Gao, there's a little clip of him during that conference where he's saying, we've got to make sure that they, they um, follow the narrative and we've got to keep them from, uh, I'm talking about the general public. He said, we've got to keep them from explaining this to people. And oh, God, it was horrible. They already knew that there were going to be people who were going to complain about this. Right. Um, you were one I'm of sorry. them. They had the they head of the CIA there, like uh, April, April Gaines or whatever her name was. Like, what? Yeah, the, it's amazing, really, that, that something like this was allowed to happen, really. It really is. And, and they basically did it whether people allowed them to do it or not. I mean, we were... We, I was screaming at the top of my lungs about this from the very beginning. And I could not get anybody to let me speak on a large forum. I've talked to you about that before. And I, right. that's why I appreciate you so much for letting me come on. True. But I think the crack was like McCullough and Malone on Rogan. Like Rogan was attacked too. Yeah. The biggest but, podcaster you know, about ivermectin, horse paste. But they had it, they went yeah. at him from all levels. They went through all of his background too. They went through all 800 or whatever of his shows, and I think he said the N word a couple times. They really uh, attacked his personality. Yeah. Yeah. Attacked really, him. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I hope they don't go through my background because you know. <laughs> but uh, I've had somebody. It, I've had somebody go through mine. I was shocked. Really? I, I'm not that important of a person. I'm not very public. Somebody went through all 800 of my shows. Tried to oh try to God. find something. It's incredible. Like a. Yeah, so, I mean, that's just kind of the state and nature of the way things are. That's there. where we are now, yeah. yeah. But that should not change the fact that Rogan was right to really complain and to call them out for telling him he took horse paste. Right. What yeah, people yeah. don't understand is that all medicines that are used on humans are used on animals. You know? I mean, Sanjay Gupta and, and Don Lemon are saying that Rogan took horse paste and all this on their episodes on CNN. And then, you know, what happens when one of their mothers needs Coumadin? You know, it's a human medicine, but it's also rat poison. You know, Coumadin, the rats eat it and then they bleed internally because they overdose on it. Then they get thirsty and go out of the house to look for water and they die outside the house. So it's a good rat poison. But I mean, I don't think we need to tell Sanjay Gupta's mother that she's taking rat poison or something, you know? It's just disgraceful what they did. It really is. I wish Rogan would have me on his show. Good Lord. I, I, you never know. I've had people on my show first and that went on his show. So okay. maybe they'll springboard on to but, something. But, some, people know, get picked, some of the people I find that get picked up have gone on to really big shows like Tim Pool or Rogan. My show is yeah. decent size, but it's nothing like there. Yeah, Rogan hey, gets more listeners on his podcast it's than the show entire, ever. Your show is the entire huh? corporate media in one night. Like, that's incredible. 
like seven. Yeah, it's it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, your show's the biggest show I've ever been on, so I really appreciate it. Oh sure, my I really I'm glad I'm glad we hooked up. I just saw yeah. you on Twitter saying nobody's listening to my book, so I'm I. I'm always looking for book authors that are credible. Yeah, I mean, you I mean, are I very, very knowledgeable. My God, I've got all the excuses in the world to have me on. So if anybody out there in the audience knows Rogan, tell him and have me on, please, or Tucker or any of them. But, I know, uh, the, I know his, I know the people who know his booking stuff. So I know some of them. Yeah, you never know. But it would be good just to have you go through and just expose. The lunacy that we've endured Everything. for the last two years. I, I, you know, I put message on Twitter yesterday, at Joe Rogan, at Tucker Carlson, et cetera, and I'd listed other people. I said, just have me on once for a long form, and I'll blow this whole thing up. Just get me on. I can explain all of it. I'll send and you his book. Explains I'll send you, his, it. I'll send you, know, you his booker's book. email. I'll send you his booker's email. After we're done. Oh, thank you. But my book explains who did it. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, right. it's the COVID-19 book of lists. And um, I hope people will get it and look at look at who did this because these people need to be prosecuted. I, I mean, this was not done by accident or ignorance. I agree. Um, some of it was ignorance, but most of it was 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 done on purpose. You know, and think of the people that suffered because of it. It's just incredible. And suffering, like from this shot that nobody really ever needed to take. If COVID already went through the whole population in twenty twenty one, there's nothing, and they're going after the kids. Like a risky therapy, it's really not a vaccine. They're gonna. It's uh, it's like mass murder. It's like off the it's chart. It's so upsetting because you know tonight <clears throat> we talked about the lies that were done about the disease itself. We haven't even touched on the vaccines yet. Right. But I'll tell you, when I proved in mid January that not only does the vaccine not prevent you from getting the disease, but it doesn't even help society. We've already reached herd immunity. Nobody needed to get this vaccine. And yet they pulled both videos down. YouTube did. You know, isn't that terrible? And I proved it with graphs and everything. I'd be happy to prove it anytime to anybody. A lot of people still don't believe we reached our community. And it's right there in the data. And so is the information about the vaccine not blocking transmission. And six months later, you've got Fauci and Walensky saying, oh, if you get the vaccine, you can't get the disease. After I proved it six months earlier? I mean, come on. Still lying. And they had that lady going in Europe say flat out, oh, yeah, we never tested for transmission. We had and it wasn't that the speed of the market. What's that? And then she says, oh, we had to follow the speed of science. I saw yeah. that video. And isn't that absurd? So crazy. And yeah. I mean, think about the saturation of the vaccines. that They did it to a huge proportion of the population. 80% of Americans have gotten vaccinated already. Six, um, I, I think four. 60% have gotten boosted once, but only 14% got the bivalent vaccine. So people are starting to understand that people like me have been right the whole time. Now, you mentioned um, McCullough and, and Malone, and there's many others that have been on TV a lot and interview. And some of those guys are wrong, too. Some of them have been saying that, that, that they supported the vaccines at first. I think Malone supported the vaccine all the way and up until 2021, yeah. Yeah, or the, that upsets the, the gene me. therapy. Yeah. The reason it upsets me is because the information, the data on this vaccine has been out there the whole time. And I, again, people don't, not, not many people, about a thousand people were watching my videos. But I made videos in December before the vaccine was even released that said, I'm not going to take this vaccine. I was telling people not to take it. 
because we didn't know the long-term side effects. It was impossible to know it. It hadn't been out long enough. How can a doctor recommend a vaccine where you don't even know the long-term side effects of it? You know what I'm saying? And 100%. In January, you know, there's videos, there's videos of Fauci explaining that, like in 2013. You got to figure out the long-term effects 12 years, and then he flipped somewhere and said, yeah, yeah we got to rush the rush as fast as possible because it's but, a William, Think about this for a second, just to reiterate. On January 15th, I already proved that the vaccines weren't blocking transmission. So it wasn't keeping you from getting the disease. And we didn't know the side effects for it. So how could you possibly justify supporting or telling people to get the vaccine? It just makes no sense to me. It didn't work. And we don't know the side effects. Don't you think that the medical industry as a whole, this is a generality, but at least in the States, it's become cartel cartelized in the sense that their doctors maybe in the 50s in this town were like independent now. They're all working for these big organizations that can easily be uh, intimidated, abused, going after their you know history. I mean, yeah. you, I because feel like you know, that's, that's what happened. The way that works is the, the big pharma companies will subsidize a medical school or an HMO or the American Board of OBGYN or internal medicine, they will subsidize it because it costs money to run those things. And then when you start, when you're paying the bills, people are going to listen to you. You're going to withdraw your money. And so that's why some of these doctors like McCullough have had trouble with getting their licenses pulled and their certification pulled because the, the big pharma is paying the expenses of the certification board. And so they say, get rid of that McCullough guy off the certification list and they have to sort of have to do it or they lose their funding. And that's where all that came from. That's terrible for McCullough. He doesn't deserve that. Right. He's a very conscientious guy. You know, it's, it's disgraceful that they're doing all this stuff to these doctors. Yeah. Now, it's equally disgraceful, as far as I'm concerned, that the doctors that knew something was wrong here kept their mouths shut. As far as I'm concerned, those guys are cowards because they're putting their bank account ahead of the life of other people, including children. Every doctor that understood this, and I know a lot of them don't understand it. I I know that. I went to medical school. I know some of the people don't understand it. But the doctors that understood this should have been up in arms about it from the beginning and shut this down, this manipulation of the public like this, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. I mean, that's the, they were intimidated. They were, or, or, you know, you go after their money, or they're making money off it. They're money, making yeah, money off the code. They're, make, they're making money. They have a position which is prestigious or they're getting a salary which they want to keep. But again, it comes down to money. They're putting money ahead of the lives of innocent people. And that's, that's horrible. That's because think about it. There's no doctors that are going to go broke. Doctors make a lot of money on average. So it's not like the guy's going to not be able to feed his family if he speaks out against this thing. He's still going to have plenty of money. You might have to drive a Toyota for two years instead of a Mercedes, but that's about the limit of how much it would hurt him. Uh, it's really bad. It's it's horrible what happened, what was done. Yeah, and even the, you mean you talk the perversion of these kind of or the intimidation of doctors, but also even these journals are fake. Like a lot of these studies, like you can make up a uh, uh, study. Ivermectin never worked. It's garbage. Yeah. you can pay Here, for something. It's the same problem, though. The, the pharmaceutical companies are subsidizing the journals. They're, they're paying for advertising. 
They're giving grants to famous, prestigious doctors that are editors of the journals, whatever. But they're getting money into the coffers of that journal. And so when the journal writes an article that's antithetical to their purpose as a company that wants to sell vaccines, like, for example, saying that ivermectin works, it's an alternative therapy which takes away the emergency use authorization that the pharmaceutical company has. They're not going to allow it. The pharmaceutical company is not going to allow the New England Journal of Medicine to write an article that promotes an alternative therapy. You with me? Because yeah, they're going to pull their funding. They're going to pull millions of dollars out of there. And, and that's the problem. Um, it was done over and over again. That's why Pfizer made three hundred. Was it $138 billion? Like, I can't remember. It is some incredible amount of money. Um, it is incredible. Just incredible billions to be made. Yeah. Huge wealth transference. Just this whole thing was just a huge wealth transfer. It was really to the top. Yeah, it was. And, and you know, it, it took money from the public because, you know, it's tax money. When, when, when Biden orders 450 million bivalent boosters, you know, it's tax money that he's spending. So it's really, he's taking money out of the pockets of the U.S. taxpayers to pay for all this. Good point. And, That's and, a whole uh, other part of this whole scandal. It's a whole it other thing. We haven't even yeah. talked about yeah. all the vaccine crime that went on. Yeah. But it's enormous. I talked tonight, I talked about the, um, the, the, the issue of, of running the cases up so people would agree to lockdowns, which made them agree to vaccines too and everything. That's all I talked about tonight. If we went into vaccines, you wouldn't believe the cr criminal stuff I've uncovered. Oh. It's pretty shocking. There's a huge investigation in, uh, yeah, I think I mentioned that. It was $5 billion oversold of vaccines that aren't being used. They're just going to yeah, burn isn't them. Isn't that incredible? And they expire and they have to throw them away. And right. I mean, think about it. Biden ordered all these bivalent vaccines and only 14% of the population's even taken them. Imagine how much they had to waste there. Incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Huh. We are at the uh, one hour, 20 minutes. So I've got 40 minutes left. I don't know how much more, how many more slides or what else you'd like to cover or anything. Or um, That's about it for tonight. I'm glad that we got through all of it. And I did go through some of the math reasonably quickly early on. But people, please, you can go back and look at everything again if you didn't understand it. Um, I don't understand anything the first time either. Let me say that out front. So there's nothing wrong with not picking it up immediately. Um, go over it again and um, convince yourself that I'm right, basically, um, because I am right. And it's an important thing for everyone to know how, how the people were taking advantage of. Um, I don't see any comments like we got yeah. last time. Well, we are not live on YouTube. I, I have a strike, so I can't, uh, oh, I can't I stream there. They're oh, on right. Rockfin. Okay. People are watching on Rockfin and commenting, but I'd, I'd ask for some questions, but uh they have some interesting comments over there. Oh, good. No we, did get, we did get some comments. I didn't see in this. Uh, so what was the exactly was Jack asked, what exactly was the change in the guidelines? That's a question. Okay. Um, that, that's a very good question. It had to do with assigning a death to COVID if they had a positive PCR test within a certain number of days of their admission. And I think it was 28 days. But... Of course, people had a positive PCR test when they walked into the hospital. It didn't mean that it was a new case, though. That was my point. 
because again, the, the RNA stays in the nasopharynx for months after you've um, had the disease. You're covered from it. And you can get, people can go to your YouTube channel and watch these videos you're talking about. Sure. And also you have a Substack as well, right? Yeah, I've got a Substack that's written right here. It's drreedsheftal.substack.com. And the Substack covers COVID-19. Sometimes it covers other topics, but over the last two years, obviously COVID-19 has been the primary one. And um, a couple of the people that I've mentioned tonight uh, who have been wonderful, uh, Ivor Cummins, who cased the, who um, coined the term case demic, has lots of videos on YouTube and I encourage people to watch him. And also my, my close friend Spartacus has a Substack also. And he's a brilliant guy and I'd love it if a lot of people went and listened to what he had to say and read what he had to say. I'll put that in the show notes so people can check it out. And one of the guys you mentioned in your book, I started following from your book, Jicky the Mouse. Yes. He did some incredible research that I just posted where they changed some of the guidelines and anticipate thinks it's proof of premeditation that oh, yeah. they changed the guidelines before this whole so-called pandemic started to not give certain things to older people. So they knew that the older people were going to be in trouble. They changed the guidelines and like they knew something was going to happen in 20, 2020. It's really yeah. incredible. Chicky the mouth. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he was really good. He, he's listed on my people who analyze the trial best. Yeah. yeah. Now um, here's the thing. Um, What was I going to say? I forget things all the time. Now. Well, it's all right. Uh, we're at 90 minutes. I mean, was there anything you'd like to add? I mean, you can kind of just yeah. wrap up. I'll put all the links in there. People check out. The to, it was something I wanted to add from the beginning. Um, Again, the title of the book is Heroes and Villains, the COVID-19 book of list. Highly recommend people check that out. You can get a Kindle version. Um, and the best place to reach you is through Substack, right? Your Substack place. Well, you can, you can reach me through, um, I guess you can get, can you get through to people through Substack? I'm really all thumbs when it comes to computers. I know you have a, you have a big Twitter following too. I mean, you have a lot of. Yeah. Followers. Yeah. You can, you can get to me through Twitter, through um, Substack. If you can do it, you can get to me through my um, website for my, one of my surgery clinics is drsheftal.com. Um, my email is rsheftal at gmail.com, which is very simple. You can certainly email me anytime you want. Um, I mean, I think that you had it right from the beginning. You got, yeah. you were another person who was censored. You were literally censored. Oh, I was censored so severely, so early. But I kept punching out the, um, the videos. And the good thing is I didn't even know that videos could be taken down at first. And when I put the um, February 20th thing on Facebook and it disappeared in an hour, I thought maybe I loaded it wrong or something. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what, what was going on, but I learned from all the censorship that I got, I had videos that were censored within a minute of me putting them up. I was on some kind of blacklist or something. I had one video that got taken down literally when there were four views and two likes and one of the likes was mine and one of the views it's incredible i my whole thing was i got just eviscerated in early 2020 like they just destroyed my whole channel like it's gone 
Yeah, so, no. It's like a piece of pers personal property. I'm still pissed. I know. But what I did was I got wise to it and I started quickly taking screenshots of the key parts of it with the dates on it so I could prove what I had said. Interesting. Because a lot of people say, oh, wait, how could you have figured out that the vaccines weren't blocking transmission in January? That was only a month after they came out. Well, I've got it on. I've got the screenshots with all the calculations on it. Right. It's incredible. Yeah. These guys so, are. I don't know what's going to happen with them, but Fauci has made terrible statements. And we talked about his article in the NGNEJM, which is in your book, that he's probably got conflicts of interest. He's just never disclosed how much money he's made off of this pandemic. Uh, oh, yeah. There's, there's enormous conflicts of interest. Um, my book spells pretty much everything out. If, if people are interested in seeing who did this and what did they do and why are they ranked so high? Now, there's a couple other tidbits in there. You know, I was a physics major, so... I explained something about general relativity in there to make a point. And I even wrote a movie scene, which was interesting um, in there. And uh, you'll find that one very entertaining. But uh, the book was something that had to be written. Pe people have to be willing to name the names. It's not good enough just to say the FDA is in the pocket of Pfizer or the CDC is corrupt. You have to name the people at the CDC who are doing all this corrupt stuff. You know, like Rochelle Walensky is telling people if they get vaccinated seven months after I proved that it did not keep them from getting the disease, she's saying, oh, if you get vaccinated, it'll prevent you from getting the disease. She recommended to do taking the shot when you're pregnant. When you're I'm pregnant. Sorry? She recommended people taking right. the shot pregnant. It's an unsuspected thing. It's off the charts. There's going to be a dip. Reed, I think there's going to be a dip in population because it's hitting sperm counts as well as, uh, you know, women's pregnancies. There, I think there already is. Be a slip, yeah. The birth rates in almost every country have dropped dramatically. And if you look at the graphs, you know, it goes along like this and then boop, way down. Yeah, there's and, going to be like a missing grade. Like in five years, the first grade or five or six years, their first grade is going to be half full, if that. And there's going to be a lot far, of injured kids. There's going to be yeah, a lot far, of injured kids. Far fewer people in it. And, you know, the other thing about kids and school is this issue of closing the schools, which Fauci kept trying to perpetuate, and Randy Weingarten was influencing Rochelle Walensky on when to reopen schools and all that controversy, which is in the book, really damaged children of school age tremendously. The statistics show that they will live shorter lives, they will earn less money, and they're more likely to drop out of school, all three of which have horrible statistical ramifications. As you know, dropping out of school is not a good thing to do. Yeah. And it's, it's because they closed the schools. The kids did not log on to learn on Zoom or whatever, right? They didn't even log on half of them in Boston, I read. And that has really severely damaged their future. It's incredible. All of these things were very, very, very damaging that they did. The lockdowns, catastrophe. Yeah. even masks are damaging. And the kids aren't even at risk. That's the whole scary thing is they mandated yeah, these mandates. And, and the kids' immunity system isn't working properly because they're inside. They have to be outside to get all of this kind of... Yeah, and not only that, but but they they... I just showed you the statistics from England and Wales, right? Where... Zero, 100, you have a 100% survival rate from age one to four. 
in a in a one in a in a the survival rate for people who are four to nine is 99.9999%. And yet they have toddlers forcing them to wear masks in New York City. Did you know about that? These toddlers have to wear masks in New York City. It's, this is a totally outrageous. They're trying to create a biosecurity state. I think that guy Cariotti wrote a book about it. It's, I need to read his book. You're talking about Aaron Cariotti. Yeah. yeah. Um, I need to read his book because another, that, another guy's severely censored, severely censored too. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, it's, it's, this all has to stop. The shots have to stop. The masks have to stop. Yeah. Lockdown stop. And these people need to be investigated and prosecuted. And it's shocking that the DOJ uh, is just sitting on its hands. Like this should start right away. And it, they're not going to move. The DOJ isn't going to move. I've always said the state's, are the place where people can get some form of justice. And the AGs in some of these states are starting to move. I mean, we know that's happening in Florida, but the other AGs should also get involved in the investigation because their own well, citizens were injured and murdered and, and harmed and damaged. And they need to get the right facts and they need, they need to prosecute these people. Yeah, the AGs in Louisiana, and I think it's Missouri, but I'm not sure, are starting to get somewhere on this. And um, Governor DeSantis, who's the governor from my state of Florida, is convening a grand jury about some of the things that were done by the vaccine companies, the, the, the vaccine makers. Uh, and he's got a, a panel. He's had a panel of experts on there a few times. And I wish he'd invite me to be on it. I know some of the experts on there and he should have me on there too. Let's put it that I way. Saw, I mean, you've done the work. I thought oh, I saw sure. your buddy Bhattacharya on there. I thought yeah, I saw... Jay's on there. Dr. Bhattacharya is on his committee. There's about 10 people on there. And um, I'll tell you. Yeah. I mean, I think they just yesterday, they got the approval to set up the grand jury from the Supreme Court of Florida. So it's yeah, already right. happened. It's yeah. Happened. So they're going to go forward with it. And they, yeah. they need to. I'll tell you, the lady from Brown University, I forgot her name, Emily something. Um, she is is telling everyone that we should give amnesty to all the people who made these horrible decisions because they didn't understand it is all they had to do was listen to some of the people that knew, or at least to me, there weren't many people that understood this from the beginning. There's a lot of people that go back and say they understood it, but there weren't really that many at the beginning. I got a lot of flack for saying we should not go into lockdowns. I remember, I mean, my brother and my cousin, both of whom were smarter than me, told me I was wrong about the total number of people of, that would die. I was right about everything else, but I was wrong about the total number that died. And I think I proved tonight that I was right about that too. So I don't think I've been wrong on anything so far. And I sure, I'll tell you. Emily you Oster. Name. Emily Oster is her name. Emily she's Oster. Live, yeah, she's not going to live that amnesty thing down. They actually yeah, changed. I think I showed that to you last time or maybe one of my shows. They changed the title of her article to make it less... Uh, offensive. Oh, really? I didn't. I didn't see that. They changed yeah, it. Huh? Yeah, they 100 changed it. Wow. But, but her point was that everyone should just get amnesty. We should just forget about it and move on. I mean, not forget. We need to learn from it, but move on. But I say no. And if you remember the preface to my book, talked about the 1976 swine flu epidemic, where a lot of bad stuff was done, and we didn't call the people out on it. And if we had any time along the way this would not have happened this time. The problem is we never call the people out that did this. So they're going to do it again. 
Right. But I'll tell you, if you put some of them in prison for doing it, for doing what they did and killing people and causing all this waste of money and everything, people, criminals will think twice before they do it again. I'll tell you right. that. But they, they won't even hesitate to do it again if you don't prosecute anybody. So the best thing you can do for society is prosecute some of these people, put them in prison, and let the future people know that that's what's going to happen to them if they do something like this, knowingly. And I've got proof that it's done knowingly. For example, the choice of the antigen that was used in the vaccine, the spike protein, as you know, was the worst possible choice they could have made. It changes often. It's toxic. It's similar in structure to human protein. So you're going to get autoimmune diseases from it. And yet all four companies that made a vaccine chose the spike protein. Think about that. If there's a one in, say, a hundred chance that one of them does it, right? That's right. one in 10 to the second then the chance that all four of them would have chosen the wrong one is one over a hundred to the fourth power. Yeah, that's crazy. See? And that's a lot of people don't know this, but that there were different what shots that's, in different countries, right? Huh? Yeah, there's different shots in China didn't go with gene therapy. Russia used it uh, has a completely different vaccine structure. So right. the US got a completely different and Europe got this completely different uh, just brew of stuff, yeah. And they don't even know when that spike protein stops being generated in your body, which is really crazy. Well, they, they switched uracil to a thing called pseudo-uracil in the RNA that's used in the vaccine. And the body does not metabolize it quickly enough. So we've got examples of these things being found in the blood or the lymph 90 days after injection. When normally messenger RNA, after it hooks up with the ribosomes and gets translated into the proteins inside the cell, it's gone in a few hours. Hmm. And these things are lasting 90 days. It's really, really, really flippant what they did when they injected these people with these things they didn't completely understand yet. They didn't know how long it was going to last. If you go back and look at all of my videos, at least the ones that haven't been taken down, some of this information is in the ones that were taken down. You'll see that I presaged all of this. I said, how do they know how long the RNA is going to last? How do they know? And this is on like December 4th before the vaccines came out. I said, how do they know it's going to stay in the arm? What if it gets in the circulation and goes to other organs? And then in, in January or February or March or something like that, Dr. Bridal found a, an article where they had measured that in Japan and, and yes, the vaccine was going to other organs. It's just incredible. Something that I said was going to happen before they even came out. I mean, it's, it's really so something. Look, here's the difference in that article title. So originally, when the article came out, it was, let's declare a pandemic amnesty. We need yeah. to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark and COVID. Yeah. And then the new one is... Let's focus on the future and fix the problems we still need to solve. So yeah, they, well, see, they see, it the problem. yeah, isn't that amazing how they'll change something like that? But look, 1984. When she's talking about being in the dark. I wasn't in the dark. If you go back and look at all my videos, I was right about everything. If they had just listened, that's why the title of my next book is If Only They Had Listened.
That's that's going to be right. But you got censored. That's the thing. Like how many? I I don't know what the number is, but if the real non-heterodox people, the people who could comment, if their comments really were, and there was a public debate, like an effective public forum, how many lives would have been saved? How much money would have been saved? How many injuries would have been saved? I can tell you exactly. If people had followed my advice on March 17th, two days after President Trump said we're going to have to go down to lockdowns, but we'll be done by Easter. Remember that? When he said, but we'll be finished by Easter? Two days after he made that announcement, I wrote the four um, hosts of... of, um, uh, I wrote Tucker Carlson... Huh? I wrote Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity... Anderson Cooper and Chris Cuomo, because I wanted to separate it politically, you know, send to some of the hosts on CNN and some of the hosts on Fox and said, please let me explain to you why this isn't going to work. And then, you know, you can you don't have to put me on TV. Just let me explain in your office and then you can go say it on TV if you want. I don't care. But again, their screeners never gave them the emails, I guess. Because I never heard from them. But that right there would have saved 150 million lives if we hadn't gone into lockdowns. Right. Like the, According to the WHO, I mean, at least 150. And then what when the I proved that the vaccines um, were, were blocking transmission and we'd already reached herd immunity, if people had not taken the vaccines because of that, that would have saved another God knows how many in the long run, but certainly millions so far. I don't know how many millions. Because, you know, we got to count it. But your, your guy that has compiled the statistics is the one that's that has looked into it more than I have about how many people are going to die from the yeah, vaccine. Allegan, Allegan. Yeah. There's, so, there's other guys uh, yeah, who've, who've been compiling. It's some huge number, though. I mean, but, just look at the ones you see in everyday life. You see all these athletes collapsing. and yeah. I mean, like, I dedicated my book to a, a, a very close friend of mine, uh, you might remember, who... Yeah. Mentioned it last show, yeah. His 30s and took the vaccine and all hell broke loose. He had to have open heart surgery. He's paralyzed on half of his body, et cetera. And um, it's, it's, it's very common. I know of two people over here in Cambodia that died from it, oh, wow. from the vaccine, yeah. So, you know, for me to know three people that got hit very hard by it, imagine how many people in the world were hit by it. You just think about it. I, I mean, I really changed it's my view person. once I started reading Died Suddenly on Facebook and it went to 300,000 subs and it wasn't really stopping. It got censored, but people were starting to ask why. I mean, people were sharing their stories of ruin and you can hear that in yeah. my, I'm on the 24th episode of my kind of uh, shot series. But what are your thoughts on negligence or intent in this whole thing? Like there's clearly an intent to profit and to control information and subvert really legal processes. This is a totally yeah. legal acts and stuff like that. I, I think there's a lot of intent involved. Like remember on the on part one of our two two nights here, I showed you the um, picture of Wuhan, the, the the fountain parties in Wuhan after the lockdowns had been done, right. kind of to show the world how well they worked. You know when they don't work at all. And then I, of course in part one I also proved that lockdowns not only don't work, but in and of themselves, they're a negative. Right. And then, of course, the collateral damage is 150 million people. Right. So there's, it it depends, there's there's about four levels of this. There's intent on the part of some people, 
there's ignorance on the part of some people and there's cowardice on the part of some people. The, the intent is from, e from evil people, I would say, that are willing to kill all these people for money. The ignorance are people that are lazy or they're, um, I mean, talking about doctors now, not blaming the public at all. They rely on the doctors when we're talking about something. Right, right. And the, the doctors should have looked into this or kept or not told people to get the vaccine because we didn't know anything about the side effects. I can't get off of that point. How could you recommend something where you don't know the side effects for it? All right. And then, of course, they're cowards. These are people who knew there was something wrong but didn't speak because they wanted to keep their position or their income or something like that. They put money above the lives of innocent people. So there's there's all three there's all three types involved in this. But the people who knew that this was the wrong thing to do from a medical science perspective and did it anyway, I think those people should be prosecuted. I completely disagree with Emily Oster that we were in the dark. Come on. Yeah. Well, you're I mean, putting in the dark. Fauci, how could Dr. Fauci and Dr. Gawande, how could they say that the, the protection conferred by the vaccine is superior to the protection conferred by getting the disease and recovering? How could they say something like that? When you get the disease, you make clonal memory to all the proteins in the virus. The vaccine only allows you to make clonal memory to one protein. And it's a horrible protein they chose. You follow me? 100%. It's, it's, totally just, it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. medical school stuff. How could Fauci not know that? And of course, he did know it because we uncovered a video of him talking to another reporter. Remember that? Where he says, oh, if she's had the disease, she right. didn't need the vaccine. The, the disease is the best protection you can get. Remember he from said about it on like 10 years ago, yeah. His, yeah he he said a lot that? of damning that, stuff. That's ranked, that's ranked in my book under the most important videos of the pandemic. And there's a lot of premeditation and pre-knowledge. He said flat out, we're going to have a pandemic under Trump. Like they knew the agenda was going to be on, on board. So well, they see this speculate too much politically. But I'll tell you, before this pandemic got released, Trump's numbers were very good. And when they released it, and by the way, there's a lot to say about that. But when this pandemic started, let me say it that way. Um. there was certainly some faction that wanted to make Trump look bad about the way he managed it. Right. Okay. Like Dr. Hotez is saying, Oh, Trump's mismanaging it and all this kind of stuff. Whereas, but the truth is when you have a virus, viruses are, are nanoscopic. Okay. And, and we tried to create all these macroscopic solutions to, to, solving a nanoscopic problem and that won't work okay that's why lockdowns don't block the virus from spreading right. they make it worse because they create pockets of stagnant air and tell people to go into the pocket of stagnant air where the virus accumulates okay right. nobody thought this through at all that was the problem they understood that it was going to be a problem and let it happen anyway this is an interesting guy i followed alexander he was in the white house but he wrote presidential takedown so he thinks that this was one component, this whole pandemic. Yeah, sure. 
a component. Well, I agree that, that there was a component of wanting to take Trump down. Remember when he made the announcement about hydroxychloroquine? Yeah, and ivermectin. And that with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin in the doghouse. They started calling it horse paste. I'll tell you, it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life that people don't know that human medicine is used on animals. How can they not know that? Right. They know it. They just wanted to propagandize the public. There was an email also about one narrative where Fauci's talking to Collins or something. Like, we have to go after this narrative. So they're sending emails to each other. And we're probably going to see more stuff. Hopefully, he gets. Oh, yes. No. Uh, that was when, yes, Dr. Collins wrote that to Fauci and a guy named Cliff Lane because. The Great Barrington Declaration had been released right. by Drs. Bhattacharya, Sunetra Gupta, and Martin Kuldorf. And it kind of went viral, not kind of, it went viral. And Dr. Collins said there must be a published devastating takedown of the right. premises of the Great Barrington Declaration in an email. And um, of course, golly, I'm, I'm shocked at, about Dr. Collins. This guy was a giant of biomedicine, if you will, of the 20th century. He, he was he headed the United States part of the Human Genome Project. And now he's getting uncovered as this guy that blocked the, um, that was in charge of, or not in charge, but participated, excuse me, in the cover-up of the, of the source of, of the origin of the virus and right. tried to take down other scientists. He referred to them as fringe epidemiologists. You know, they're all they all have very, very prominent positions at great universities. I mean, it was really horrible what went on. Yeah, Bardacharya is like then a you got, then you got academic at Stanford. So was Ionidas too, yeah, right? These are yeah. like top academics. These are not they're top academics. They that's what they are. They're, they're academic guys, but they're top. And Sunetra Gupta is really she's referred to as the best epidemiologist in the world all the time. She's a top person. And, she, and I've watched her on a few interviews, and I'll tell you, she does not disappoint you when she's in an interview. She is so clear thinking. Um, Somebody in the chat says you should reach out to Thomas Massey because he's a fellow MIT grad. Yeah, he's a he's a politician, right? Yeah, I think Massey or Midwest somewhere like that. Yeah, he's an MIT guy too. It's Kirsch, me, and Massey are MIT people. Yeah, but anyway, uh, you know, Kirsch was in my class at MIT. That's amazing. We didn't know each other then, though, because I was physics and he was um, computer science. But anyway, um, there's, there's, William, there is so much involved in every part of this. I could talk an hour on each tiny little aspect of this. So true. It, it's different components. The, the information war, the good guys, Fauci alone, Gates, Welcome Trust. Yeah. I mean, just all the, the Welcome people. Trust. Uh, Jeremy Lipkin, is that his name? The welcome trust guys. I, I mean, does, all that stuff. Like it just goes yeah, on. Look him up if you can somehow. I'm, I'm too. Look I'm afraid I'll lose you if I try to look something up. Jeremy Farrar. No, Jeremy Farrar. I'm sorry, God. Whoever Jeremy Lipkin is, I apologize. Jeremy Farrar is the welcome trust guy. Now, here's the thing, William. They were involved in changing their opinion on whether the genome of the virus was engineered or not. Do you remember this? Yeah, they changed it within uh, like three guys days. from um, La Jolla uh, at first said, boy, this thing looks engineered. And then they got together in that middle of the night phone call, that group phone call. And the next day, they're, they're writing the Proximal Origins paper, which proclaimed that the 
the virus came from natural zoonotic spillover. Now, it is, that is so inane based on the evidence that has come out. Um, yeah, that's welcome trust there. They, they fund a lot of medical research. And it's kind of like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, actually, for England. It's probably not as big, but it's, it's big, though. And Jeremy Farrar runs that out there. But anyway, he was one of the ones that arranged the middle of the night phone conversation so that Fauci could get his ducks in, in order. And uh, there he is right there. Yeah. Jeremy Farrar. But anyway, Fauci could get the ducks in a row and have everybody change to this natural zoonotic spillover um, narrative. And they wrote the paper, um, not Farrar necessarily, but Ian, uh, no, yeah, Ian Lipkin and um, Ian Anderson, I think his name is. Anyway, the guys at the, um, the La Jolla, um, Institute, the virologist down there, they wrote the um, proximal origins paper and claimed that it, the thing came from natural zoonotic spillover. And I'm thinking, I'm not even a virologist. I mean, I'm just looking at this thing like a surgeon that knows a little bit of from medical school and I can prove it came from a lab. There's human fingerprints all over it. Yeah, didn't so you I say the that. likelihood... The last talk was one in eight billion chance. Yeah, it was but one in eight billion when I figured it out initially. And then when I looked into the missing step and the seven steps you need to create a pandemic, my my the likelihood was one in uh, 10 to the 114th power that it that it came from natural zoonotic spillover. In yeah, other this words, guy, this guy Huff. Bad. This huh? guy Huff went to Project Veritas and they got freaked out because I think they Veritas found that this the the cover up of the bio lab leak was the size of like the Manhattan Project. They didn't know that there were so many people involved in covering up that fact. And he was actually scared. The head guy, I forgot his name right now, but he was like wearing a bulletproof vest saying, I'm not suicidal. He got he was scared of what how intense the government censorship on that one point was. Yeah, I mean, the, these guys that, that were involved in that middle of the night meeting where they um, changed their tune on, on the genome of the virus, those people should be prosecuted, I think. Because they, they obviously lied. And then, of course, it turns out within, for the funding for the next year, a bunch of them got some huge grants from Fauci. You know, so it just looks horrible. And those like, he's reputations. like a kingpin. Fauci's like their, a kingpin. Their reputations are absolutely shot over this. And they should be. You know, they, 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 they lied to the public over this. And they were honest at first because they didn't know people, the powers that be didn't want them to say it. You know, we found all these emails of theirs where they're saying, I think this thing looks engineered. I don't know. What do you think? You know, that kind of thing. And then the next day they're going, it came from a pangolin. You know, natural zoonotic spillover. You got a boss. I, I, yeah, my money's at stake. One, I mean, another example of these people getting intimidated is when Ladopo's independent study on myocarditis came out. They attacked him viciously. He looked yeah. like he got like a little bit of a zap too. He didn't expect to be attacked just for putting. Yeah, out right. His yeah, body. I'd like to meet him. He's he's the Florida. Um, yeah, Florida Surgeon General. Surgeon General, yeah, I need to meet him. I mean, kind of wish he would write me or something. 
I write these people and I don't, my, my emails never get through to them or something. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, listen, um, these people that clearly engage in a cover-up and things like that need to be prosecuted and put in prison. You know, you can always, you can always claim ignorance that you didn't know that lockdowns were bad, even though it killed all these people. And you didn't know that the, you hadn't looked at my stuff and knew that the virus was, I mean, the vaccine wasn't blocking transmission. You can always claim ignorance for that, but you can't claim ignorance when you proactively try to cover something up. And that's, that's when you must prosecute and put these people away. Otherwise this is going to happen over and over and over again. But don't you think their brazenness is based upon what they've gotten away in the past too? Like Fauci knows the scoop. He's been in the game for five decades. What other, I mean, there's all, there was all issues about the MMR vaccine, the cause of autism, whatever that is, but they fought that too, that there's no link between any earlier shots and human injury. So these snake oil salesmen have been in it for a long time. I call them snake oil salesmen too. I think a lot of them are tampering around or may know a lot more about what goes into these shots. They found what graphene oxide. I mean, they, they yeah, must they I, know that there's some bad stuff in here. I think, I think they know what they're doing. I think it's intentional. Yeah. I don't know enough to comment on some of that, especially about the older vaccines. Um, I looked deeply into this one though. And um, I've got real problems with, with, choosing the spike protein and stuff that I've already mentioned. Um, other other people, other guests you could have might know more about other vaccines, a la Robert F. Kennedy Jr., yeah, yeah. you know, guys like that. But I don't know that much about it. Um, but I know a lot about this one, Kylie. I've, I've learned every aspect of this. And I'll tell you, this was, this was, as far as I'm concerned, this is the biggest, certainly it's the biggest medical crime in history. And it's one of the biggest crimes in history. The people that died from this, just from the virus, not not talking about the vaccine yet, are twice as many as Hitler, Mao, Stalin, and Pol Pot killed combined. They killed about 75 million people combined. And there's at least 150 million that are going to die from the lockdowns and the... um, moratoria placed on non-emergency surgery. Think about how many people were killed over this thing. And think about, if you want to extend it, which isn't exactly um, proper, but just reducing the birth rate. In a way, you could count part of that or something. But We don't even know if some of these women are sterile. We don't know. We don't know if they're sterile. If these lipid nanoparticles got into their ovaries or... We don't yes, know well, certainly the birth rate has dropped a lot. And so there's a there's a question as to whether it's due to the vaccine or whether it's due to something about the timing of when we came out of lockdowns and everything and people wanted to travel instead of stay home and have babies kind of deal. So we have a few more months to figure that out. Um, it's got to really increase a lot to go with the second explanation. You know, that people didn't want to stay home and have babies, they wanted to travel. Uh, so we'll have to get the answer to that when the data comes out. But um, right now- the I had a question for you if you want to take a question. Oki asks, Trump could have taken Fauci out of the picture and didn't, why? Boy, um, 
I don't know why he didn't do it. I would have gotten rid of him very fast. Of course, I would have been privy to all the medical science and understood it. And you can't blame Trump for taking advice from his chief advisor. But I'll tell you, as soon as Fauci told me that two plus two equals five, which would have been very early for me because I understood all of it, then I would have gotten rid of him. Now, imagine if we'd had someone like Ron Paul in there, who's a doctor. He would have known immediately that the advisors were up to no good. Even Dr. Burks in her book said, oh, we we tricked Trump into extending the lockdowns. He, he, you know, like that. It was incredible that she wrote that. God almighty. Incredible admission. Those yeah, are like when they, when, thing to say. I mean, she said, "Oh, yeah. I committed the crime that killed 150 million people." I mean, geez. And when they when they called for the lockdown, I remember that press conference. They were exultant. They were exultant. They couldn't yeah, hide yeah, their excitement about the lockdown. And they didn't totally uh, squat about it, or they did, and they did it anyway. Either way, they need to be prosecuted. Yes, yeah, they need to be prosecuted, 100%. You cannot solve a nanoscopic problem with a macroscopic solution. Can't be done. Remember I said that 100 nanometers is the diameter of the virus, and 400 nanometers is the shortest wavelength that we can see in the visible spectrum. That's violet. Right. I'll tell you. Reed, we are at the two-hour mark. Is there anything you'd like to add or while, no, while we really. wrap up? No, that's that would be great. Thanks so much for your time, your expertise. Oh, you're your very knowledge. welcome. Really appreciate it. I had a great response to the first one, so I'm glad to have you back for the second. So did I. Yeah, I had a lot of people that wanted to know when we were going to do it again and everything. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of interest. Oh, cool. And so then I will put a link to your Substack. You showed that on the, for people on Rockfin. But I will put that also in the show notes for the podcast, your Substack, and also your YouTube links. And then if you want to send me Spartacus's information or anybody else. Oh, sure. Well, Spartacus is on Substack. Okay. All people have to do is go in there and hit the magnifying glass and, and find it. Find it's okay. called I-C-E-N-I. That's the name of his Substack thing, I-C-E-N-I. Great. Awesome. And again, uh, this was based upon the book that... Dr. Reed Sheftal just published title of that book. And I highly recommend it. People check it out. You can get it on Amazon is heroes and villains, the COVID-19 book of lists uh, just published a month and a half ago. So Reed, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, William. Thank you very much. Right, stay See you soon.